The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. After uh, Solomon dedicated or completed the temple in the Old Testament, and after the presence of God descended on the temple, upon the temple, in the temple, in the Old Testament, and after... Um, the people of God feasted, not fasted, but feasted for seven days, we read this in 2 Chronicles 7. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain... Or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land." Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I've chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. The question that we want to ask in this short series, four-week series, is this. How can we see God come down at downtown church? How can we see Him do a mighty work among us, a work to unite us from a group of individuals to a genuine family. How can we see God so unite our hearts in His purposes, not bless our purposes, but so unite our hearts in His purposes that we see God's kingdom expanded in our community, in downtown and so far beyond? How can we experience real inner healing and arrive at a place of peace and rest so as to be healthy for kingdom work? Every significant movement of God is preceded not by a people working hard, (laughs) but by prayer and fasting. If you look at Jesus, how did he start his ministry? He was to meet the devil in the wilderness, but what did he do prior to that? He prayed and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That is the pattern. That was not some odd thing that Jesus did so that we would not have to, but that was the pattern and an invitation to what we must be doing, how we must be approaching kingdom work and and ministry and calling in our own lives, because Jesus knew that he had to have the presence of his Father for the kingdom work of God to be accomplished. He knew he had to have God's presence. That was the issue of the people of God in the Old Testament. They needed the presence of God in the cloud by night and fire by day, descending upon the temple when the temple was built. And for the people of God in the New Testament, we need the presence of God in the hearts of God's people, doing deep work in us 
to align our desires and affections for Him and for His work in the world. All the issues of race and injustice and division and violence and disparity and unbelief individually are rooted in spiritual darkness and therefore we need the Holy Spirit to do work. And friends, if the Holy Spirit is not doing work, God's work is not getting done. What we're doing, therefore, is simply a lot of activity, but not real kingdom work. Spiritual work demands we employ the spiritual weapons of prayer and fasting. So let's look at this, and this passage helps us understand this. Jesus really gives us the context for prayer and fasting. Uh, But we've got to do a little work. So first, we need to see that prayer and fasting addresses us, our inner unrest, before it addresses anything else. In other words, prayer and fasting is really about what's going on inside of us first, and then it propels us out for kingdom work. And this is a message that we need to hear, and one that I think all of us or, or can understand is very relevant. Anxiety is, the, is what's plaguing our society. 40% of people, Time Magazine reported in May of last year, or excuse me, May of 2018, 40% of people polled said they were more anxious then than they were the year before. We're a society, the further away we get from God, and really the further away we get from God in the church, we are a society plagued with anxiety and worry because we have not learned the discipline and the blessing of resting in God as a functional trust in our lives through prayer and fasting. This is why God has given us prayer and fasting. It is not, says Jesus, some outerwear to make us feel more righteous. That's what the hypocrites do. This is what Jesus is saying. And and I know if you're reading this, you're like, well, what can we learn about fasting prayer? Because all Jesus is doing here is telling us what not to do and what to do. Don't look, you know, all gloomy like a hypocrite, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So don't do that. It's not about that. Uh, But basically, go take a shower, put on your clothes, act normal, and, and fast and pray. And then your Father who sees in secret will reward. So what Jesus is saying is, is there's a purpose for this, and it's a deep inner purpose. But, but what we see today is not just anxiety and worry, but something worse, and that is the absence of contentment and peace. In the church, we are rarely, it's, it's rare to find a Christian that is different from someone who does not profess faith in Christ in regard to anxiety and worry. Um, And I'm not, believe me, I I believe in, um, you know, clinical depression, clinical anxiety. I'm talking about the hurriedness of not being able to sit still, of running to social media and Netflix and this hobby and that hobby and and our career and, and everything else as opposed to being still before God and hearing from Him, the very lover of our souls. So what we have in the church, and this is frightening, is either a, uh, a group of us calling ourselves Christians, and yet we're not praying and we're not fasting, but we are seeking to represent God and do His work in the world. 
or a group of us who are praying and fasting, and yet everybody knows we're praying and fasting because that is our righteousness. And in our arrogance and in our self-righteousness, we are seeking to represent God and do His work in the world. So either we're not praying and really not doing kingdom work, or we are praying and fasting and not really doing kingdom work. And so this is what Jesus, I think, is saying here. (laughs) It it was the same in in His day. It, It was a big show. It was a big outward performance. And He says, no, but there is a good and righteous place for fasting and prayer, prayer and fasting. And I believe it's because we've missed the message of, of right here in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the latter part of the Sermon on the Mount on, on prayer and fasting is a big reason um, why we're misdirected. So let's look at the context. Before Jesus gives this teaching on fasting, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And so fasting is never disassociated from prayer. It's always right there. They're always together. It's the purpose And so the first thing we do, the way we move into fasting is through prayer, but not just any kind of prayer. It's the Lord's prayer was a pattern. It was not kind of a graduate degree of praying. It was the model for all of our praying. And just think of the movement in the Lord's prayer. It's very simple, but completely significant. Our Father, our Father, not our holy righteous God who condemns his people and Our Father, one who is waiting. What is a father's relationship, a good and perfect father's relationship with his children? He wants his, his arms are open. That's the whole message of the prodigal son. Here I am. I'll do anything to have you in my arms. Anything to have you home. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your name be exalted. You're exalted above me. There is someone worthy to bow down before and give my soul to and open up and be spiritually naked to. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my plans. The whole purpose of this, the whole purpose of me coming before you, my Father, who is glorious and majestic on high, is not to get you to stamp my plans and my agenda, but for you to wrestle my affections to you so much that I want your plans done in the world, that I trust your wisdom over mine, and your rule is better than my rule. Give us this day our 401k. (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, wow. Give us this day our daily bread. Teach me to trust you for today, O God. Teach me to trust that what I have today is enough, and you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Relational community, uh, uh, relational health. Don't do work. Do work in community. Seek reconciliation. Seek peace in community. This is the priority. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Battle with sin. There's nothing here about praying for health and wealth and prosperity. Now, I've got to be careful here. 
And I have weighed the words of this sermon, but I need the Holy Spirit desperately because there's no way, anyway, there's so many ways that we can take these, a lot of what I say, but hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. But prayer and fasting are tools not to manipulate God to bless our plans, but to, for God to wrestle our affections to come more in line with His kingdom will. So does that mean that I don't pray? If I came before you today, or I think of Josh Shelley right now. I mean, his mother is potentially facing lung cancer, and they're in that, that season of we don't know. She just had a, um, um, a biopsy and waiting for that test to come back. That's an anxious time. So do we not pray for healing? Yes, we pray for healing. However, what I fear that we do is we, we remove our praying from God's will being done. We pray those prayers apart from your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I look at the people that I think about this a lot. If I come down with cancer or some horrible disease, certainly we're going to pray. I hope you're going to join me in praying for healing. However, what would bring most glory to God? What would advance His kingdom more? Would it be healing me physically? Or would it be giving me joy and peace and, and maintaining my faith and continuing to preach the gospel in the midst of that struggle? The answer is, I don't know, but God does. You see that? That is your kingdom come, your will be none. It's not let's, let's disregard the physical struggles because that's the curse. And, and God is all about the new heaven and the new earth. He's all about healing. He's all about life. He's all about flourishing. But he's also about using the bad and, and using all things for the good of conforming us unto the image of Christ. And so he knows, but I don't know. But that is gospel praying. That is kingdom praying, if you will. Um, I, I wrestle with this a lot. Um, at, at the end of last year, um, just you know, a month ago, I was really in a, in a tough place. I was, I was um, anxious and worried about a lot of things about our budget, about relationships, about a lot of things. Um, and it was all, as I look back, and, and that's primarily why our session, why we called today, and there were so many things going on in the life of the church, and they're still there, many of them. Um, but we called a day of fasting and prayer, and we did so, not that God would erase everything, but so that we as a body would have our hearts reoriented to Him, and we would be content with His will. And we would be content with where He's leading us. Because our biggest need is not financial, and, and God's God has never depended upon money to advance His kingdom. In fact, find a time where real kingdom work was done primarily through money. It doesn't exist. We all, oh, I can give you a lot of things that, I, I can show you a lot of activity. But has real kingdom work, has revival come through money? Mm, no. And so God, um, that's why God has given us this discipline, is because God 
wants to wrestle our hearts to Him that we might be content with where we are. Now, look what comes after the teaching on prayer. If you have your Bibles or pull it up on your phone, uh, Matthew 6, I'm looking at really the whole chapter. Uh, We didn't read it all, but I am. Right after um, the teaching on the Lord's Prayer and then how to fast or how not to fast and then how to fast, what does Jesus talk about? Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. And I would like to add, where your treasure is, that's where your prayers will be. And then he goes on and he says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not, is, uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And I think for our, our context today, many would say no. That's what it is. I saw some statistic recently that if, if somebody had um, the decision between a lot of money or a perfect body, they would choose a perfect body. I mean, exercise is the God and the idol of our day. And brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm right there. That doesn't have much to do with the kingdom of God. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? In fact, it takes hours away. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the pagans, those who don't even know God seek after these things. That's how they live. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Heavenly Father, our Father who art in heaven. Here it is again. But seek first what? Your kingdom and God will bless. No, seek first His, but seek first His righteousness. Excuse me. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. It's a matter of priority. Is food and clothing important? Yes. Is it uber important? No. What is the kingdom of God? You have a father, dear friends, that loves you, and your father happens to rule the universe. Prayer and fasting's first work is to get that truth deep in our hearts. It's to meet with God and get that truth deep in our hearts. And so it's much more about us first and what God has got to do in us before anything else. But secondly, prayer and fasting is meant to reorient our affections to God and His kingdom work. And I think there's a lot to learn here for most of us in this room. Many of you are onto this, but not all of us by any stretch of the imagination. Here's what I want, here's what I want you to do. Either, you know, 
writing down with a pen and, and whatever, paper, or typing it in your notes on your phone, can you think of the last few prayers that you have prayed? Not this morning, but throughout the week. Can you think of that which you're praying about? What are you praying for? Like literally, what are you praying for? Think about it. I'll give you 30 seconds. You don't have to write it. Just get it in your head. All right, here's what I find when I, when I do that exercise. I find that I pray more out of my anxiety and worry than I do out of conviction for the kingdom of God and what, what, you know, how God's kingdom needs to be advanced in the community. And what I mean by that is this. The things that captivate our praying is oftentimes the things that are most urgent to us. And the things that are most urgent to us are the most temporal. So here's the question. What if we stopped praying for our will to be done and we started praying for His? What would we pray if we really believed that our treasure was in heaven and not on earth? How would it change our praying if we really believe that our best life was to come, and no matter what we did in this life, that would be true. In other words, what if you stopped hoping in the things of this life, and you started making the kingdom of God and its priorities, and God himself your priority? How would it change your praying? Listen to what... James K.A. Smith said in You Are What You Love, The Spiritual Power of Habit. He said, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all and in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand the kingdom of God. Now, what do we mean here? What is, is, when Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what does that mean? I think Isaiah 58 tells us. Listen to Isaiah 58. Why have we fasted and you see it not, so says Israel? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? See, here is the danger. If, if all of you, and, and we're calling our first day of fast for uh, the second Thursday of February. So the second Thursday of each month, we're calling as a fast in 2020 and probably beyond. Um, and so you do that first fast and nothing changes. We fasted and you see it not. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? And God answers, be careful. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, and you oppress all your workers. Wait a minute, God. That doesn't have anything to do with me and you in, our, in my closet. Uh, maybe it does. 
Behold, you fast only to quarrel. Wait a minute, don't bring my relationships into this. How I treat my wife. Got a funny story about that. It really wasn't so funny. Um, fast, I'll just say fasting will sometimes make you irritable. <laughs> Behold, you, you only fast to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. See what Jesus is saying. It's not the act of fasting. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? And do you see what's happening here? God is, God is mocking his people for fasting. So don't think you're all that just by you, you, you go without food from nightfall one night to nightfall the next night. Don't think God is up there utterly impressed by the self-sacrifice. Um, but he keeps going. Is this not the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Now, friends, it's not, God is not, God is not saying stop fasting. He's saying stop fasting with that intention. But start fasting for the kingdom of God to come in you and in your community. Do you understand that in a real sense, this is how the kingdom of God comes? It comes through prayer and fasting. Why? As we just sit there idly by and, and, and only pray? Because that's the argument of some, oh, you fast and pray, you wait on your God and I'm going to get to work. Okay. Get to work and see what it does for your soul without the process of fasting and prayer. It leads to arrogance. It leads to pride. You hate those stingy conservatives that just don't get it as much as you do. See? But if you're fasting and praying and God is dealing with your heart and your sin, then you don't have time to be judging other people. But what God is doing is he is working his work. He is, he's planting the seeds of his kingdom in your heart. He is working that soil so that your viewpoints begin to change as do your actions. And you begin to want God's kingdom to come like this. You want the poor to be fed and clothed. You begin to see the disparity Instead of judging people you've always judged, you, you, you get to know them and embrace them and walk with them. And you carry their burden on your shoulder along with them. Oh, can you imagine? We, we probably have, I don't know, 300, maybe th over... Th can you imagine if all of us in this room fasted and prayed and that was the result... God working a, a, a work in our hearts when we didn't even know we don't even know each other are fasting and praying because that's not the focus. 
But all of a sudden, we all get this passion for kingdom work, humbly. We all start forgiving each other. We all all start um, holding up, you know, the kingdom of God and His work and reconciliation in the body and peace and and, and living day by day, believing that we really have a Father who's going to care for us. Can you imagine the light that would dawn in Memphis with just this room? God says, this is Christianity 101. It's through prayer and fasting that God wrestles our affections to Him to the point of surrender to His agenda and a deep and abiding trust in heaven as the locale of our real treasure and Him as our real provider and trust. Prayer and fasting gets us more in tune with God's agenda for the world, including our context and all He wants to do here. And then thirdly and finally... Prayer and fasting is the action of Christian desperation for God. What we need most is for God to get our affections. The affections are those things that your heart most loves. Again, James K.A. Smith, you are what you love. He wrote, Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, your longings. And then he says, liturgies aim our love to be different ends precisely by training our hearts through our bodies. That's why we are putting forth one day a month. This is like minimal. (laughs) One day a month. That becomes our liturgy, that becomes our practice that you don't just have to be limited to and by. Um, You can, as a matter of fact, I think as you begin to develop the habit of of going, you know, from sundown one day to uh, uh, sundown the next day, and your focus is focus praying like we're about to do. I'm about to teach you and lead you and disciple you a little bit in how to, fa- how to at least pray um, in a way that is kingdom-focused. Um, if you do that, what I have found is that you long to do it more. Because the reward is not the answers to your prayers. The reward is God himself. Look at, let me just read Isaiah chapter 6. What we need most is not healing from disease, is not more financial help, and, and that's not to minimize. We, we, you know, God doesn't love poverty, okay? Um, and, and, but just hear me. The thing we need most is an encounter with God because of this. Nobody encounters God and leaves unchanged. Listen to Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, oh, that's novel. 
No. I said, woe is me. Do you understand what's happening here? He is having an encounter with God, with the living God. And it changes him. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then the, one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken uh, with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Dear friends, an encounter with God changes you, and the primary change that it makes is it gets you over you, and it gets you into his kingdom agenda. You begin to see that, oh, my little life and my little worries don't, you know, they are important to God, but oh, he's God. It's exactly, you stop negotiating with God. That line in in the song that you taught us, Compton, perfect timing, and I know it wasn't you, uh, Holy Spirit, we'll give him credit, but unbelievable. Stop your negotiations with God. That's what most of our prayers are, because they're powerless. And they're so trite and short-sighted. We serve a glorious King and God who if we encounter Him, oh, all of our affections begin to move in a different direction. Go try to change yourself by yourself. You can't do it. Encounter God and let Him change you. So how do you encounter God? Through prayer and fasting. Will it happen every time? No, but it won't happen without it. It happens through prayer and fasting. We cannot manufacture encounters with God. It takes surrender and submission and waiting. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. Here's the pattern for our stillness. Meditation that leads to effective prayer. So when we are praying and fasting, on that second Thursday in um, February, or if you just can't wait, Um, whenever the next day is you fast and pray, you are to not just empty your mind and wait on God. You are to empty your mind. You are to be still. You are to turn off the phone. You are to get away from social media. You are to get away um, from from everything else. Even if you're at work, I'm typically at a coffee shop or I'm, you know, I've got people all around me, but I am, uh, you get still, you you shut everything down and you focus on God's Word. You meditate on God's Word. Psalm 1, blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Oh, that's just for the super Christians. No, that's Christianity. Let's do this right now. I, 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 want, us to be, I want us to do this. Let's just take Psalm 4610. Everybody close your eyes. And let's do contemplation that is formative. (laughs) Let the words of Psalm 4610 form you, read you. Don't just read them, let them read you. This is what I mean. Close your eyes if you're willing. Be still and know that I am God. How have you been trying to be God? In what ways have you been telling God what He must do in order for you, your life, to be in line and in order? 
What demands are you putting on God? What are you saying? You have to move in this way. Be still and know that I am God. How are you manipulating others? Because you want to be God and you want your agendas to be fulfilled. Be still and know that I am God. He loves you. He didn't even spare His own Son for you. He's given everything. He's given the most precious gift to possess you as His son, as His daughter. As Sergi says, He doesn't love you more on your best days and less on your worst days. He loves you in line with Jesus' finished work. It is finished. Be still and know that I am God. You need Him more than you need a new job. (laughs) More than you need more money. More than you need a vacation. Be still and know that I am God. Listen to Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Be still and know that I am God. Now friends, here's the gift that God has given us, and you can look up. When we go without food, and I know some of you, and I've already had some people ask me, what can we do if because of health reasons we can't fast, we can't say no to, um, you know, to food? And, um, and there's so many questions, but uh, I typically you know, at least drink water uh, when I'm fasting. Um, you don't have to. Uh, but there's no, <laughs> that, it's not this legalistic thing. And so if you can't go without food, what is it that you can go without that, that you really depend upon? Is it social media? Is it your phone? Is it, what is it? Let's try to fast from something. Try to give up something. But there is, there's, there's just something mysterious and mystical, I think, which is the beautiful part of it, about giving up food I think at first, the first few times you do it, you realize how food is such an idol. 
But then you begin to see how food is just really the, the tip of the iceberg. And you begin to see all of the other idols in your lives, and, and that's the beautiful reality. So when you add fasting with kingdom-focused praying, um, there becomes a sharpened sense and focus that seems to become more intense and ushers God more into your heart and life and His truth begins to form and shape you in ways than when you're not fasting and praying. And so, as we move into this, and if you want to dive into it immediately, I think that the reason we need this so desperately as individuals that will contribute to the health of our body is because most of our Christian lives, our Christian lives, this is the best illustration I can come up with, and, and I'm not bashing mobile homes, okay? Every, you, you'll have, you, you know, every illustration I use, I, I really think through them and about, and I, believe me, I fail a lot. But you think about a mobile home. What's the first thing to go in a community when a tornado comes through? It's a mobile home. Even the weatherman, if you're in a mobile home, you better get out. He doesn't say, go to the bathroom. He says, get out of that thing, you know? A life that, that is void of fasting and praying like this, kingdom fasting and praying, is like a motorhome. Because in essence, what we're doing is we're coming as consumers before God. We're demanding God move. And when God doesn't move, when he doesn't give us what we want, all of a sudden we're mad at him. And that's the impermanence of a mobile home in the midst of a storm. When the storms of life come, we need to give up and we need to go deep with God and we need to say, I know my, I know my heart and my heart is this. I want you to, to act for me in the way that I want you to. I want to prescribe what the reward is. And what fasting and prayer does is it moves you to the point where Jesus is your ultimate reward. Where his fellowship where the realities of the truth of his word, be still and know that I am God. Know that in love he predestined you before the foundation of the earth. Know that it, was, um, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Know that he has blessed you with his Holy Spirit, that you might cry out, Abba, Father, you might run to him as your daddy, the king of the universe. Those realities become fresh and experiential and real to you and begin to change your affections and the things of the world begin to fade in that realization and in that experience. So, dear friends, the question is, do you want to go deeper into God? Do you want more of Him? He is the lover of your soul. If you visited with us today or you've been here and you're thinking about this whole Christian thing, this is it. It's not who you vote for for president. It's not what's your view on this view of sexuality. No, it is, it is knowing the living God. It is finding the one that is the lover of your soul. It, it is finding the one that will end all your searching behind your desiring 
It, it will bring peace and it will calm your unrest. When you know God and you experience Him, you've experienced the very one who is your bread, who is your food, who is the very essence of life, who is your way, truth, and life. You've experienced your purpose and your mission. You've experienced all the fullness because God is the end. So downtown church, are we hungry for God? And God alone Dear friends, it is my deepest prayer that God uses this season in downtown church, yes, to bring revival, but oh, that we might experience the presence of God in ways that we haven't before, that we might experience levels of peace, that we might get visions of His kingdom and how we can participate in that kingdom work, how we can steer our jobs and, and, and our homes and, and everything that we own toward the purpose of seeing His kingdom expand in downtown and so far beyond. Out of the delight that we're experiencing because we are experiencing the living God. Dear friends, we need to get silent. We need to get still. We need to shut up. And we need to listen to God in His Word. And we need to give up food. And we need to make prayer and fasting a very practice and discipline of our lives to do it. May God make it so. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Thank you that you've taught us how to pray. Thank you that you commanded us to fast. Thank you that you even address the realities of our treasure and our temptation and our inclinations to hold on to the things of this world, to get what we can now and not forfeit treasure here, believing that our real treasure is in glory. You know our hearts. You know we're anxious. You know we're fearful.